Today's bonus episode of the Velo News Podcast is brought to you by, uh, well, it's not brought to you by anyone. Um, no sponsors today. No uh, catchy intro music. Sorry, no no drums and jazzy tunes to lead us in today for the bonus episode. Um, today, I just wanted to play my interview with Andrew Bernstein um, for you all to listen to this weekend. Um, Andrew, if you've been reading the site, you may have seen some of our coverage around him. He is a longtime racer, a bike industry veteran. He was at Bicycling Magazine for a long time. Uh, works with True Communications, a PR firm. Um, he's also a good friend of mine. Um, we met when I lived in New York City, raced against each other, and have known each other you know, from bike media circles since then. Um, on July 20th, Andrew was riding home from the velodrome here in Boulder, Colorado, when he was the victim of a hit and run. He was struck from behind by a white Dodge van. Uh, the impact threw him into a ditch, and he was left to die. And Andrew uh, has a very harrowing tale of uh, crawling out of that ditch, and then he was saved by a good Samaritan and a bunch of doctors and trauma specialists at several different hospitals. And he survived the incident, and um, he is now uh, on the road to recovery. Um, I went and met Andrew at his hospital in Denver this past weekend um, to talk about the incident, to talk about his perspective on cycling, on driving, on life in general. And I found Andrew's perspective to be very insightful and valuable. And look, be forewarned, you know, we're, it's, we're talking about serious topics here, about life and death and a person's experience with incredible trauma, trauma that I hope none of you ever, ever have to deal with. Um, but for those who, you know, are interested in hearing Andrew's story, you know, listen on. If it's a bit too heavy of a topic, hey, no, no judgment. This one might not be for you. Um, but I wanted to present Andrew's interview in total for you all to listen to. We had uh, posted an excerpt from it on the site this week. Um, be forewarned, I, you know, I went down there with my fancy podcast audio recording equipment, but I brought the wrong memory card. Very frustrating. So I did the interview on my phone, so it doesn't have the high quality audio uh, quality that you're used to listening to in the Velo News podcast. But you know, quality aside, I think it's the content of what Andrew has to say that has tremendous value. So I will leave you with that, and we will get on to Andrew's interview, and I will catch up with you all this coming week. Everyone, please um, be safe out there. Hug your loved ones, and yeah, enjoy this interview with Andrew Bernstein. I guess a good place to start is just begin from the beginning. Um, July twentieth, two thousand nineteen. Um, what do you remember? What were you doing? And yeah, take us through the crash. Sure. So um, I had left my house in South Boulder. And I was riding. I was gonna. My plan was to go to the the velodrome out in Erie, switch to my track bike, which I keep there, and do some intervals, and then ride home. Um, I actually bumped into Ben Delaney on the bike path on the way out of town, and um, he made fun of me because I had uh, directions written on paper taped to my top tube instead of programmed into my Wahoo, um, which you know I fully deserve that. Um, 
and then I you know continued riding, made it to the track. Uh, there were a few other people out there, and we um, the guys out there were getting they were getting track certified. So we were kind of taking turns, and we were riding together a little bit, and I was doing my intervals. Uh, and then it started raining, and uh, you, know, you know you can't ride the track in the rain, so we all decided to pack it in. Um, you know, I got myself out of there as quickly as I could because um, I wanted to get home before the worst of the rain. And so I started riding down uh, Arapahoe, and um, one of the guys who'd been to the track passed me in his car and waved, waved back, and that's kind of my last memory uh, before the crash. And then I remember um, coming to in the in the dirt and uh, not being in pain, but knowing that I was very badly hurt and I needed help. Um, and I was looking for my phone, and I either I can't. It's a little bit fuzzy. But I got I, I either couldn't find my phone, or I or my arms were broken, and I couldn't get them back into my pocket. Um, so so then I remember thinking about how. Okay, well, if I can't call 911, I need to signal a car. Um, so I was thinking about how I'd like sit up or raise myself up somehow. And um, that's my last memory uh, before I woke up in the ICU uh, seven or eight days later. You were found by a gentleman who, even Tim, um, said that he had had something like that happen to him before. The cyclist. What what did Tim? What did you glean from Tim or the people about what happened um, and how you were actually saved on the side of the road? So yeah, Tim. Um, well, I did. I did indeed figure out a way to raise myself up. So Tim was driving home from church with his father, who's uh, you know elderly, and um, Tim was driving down the road and he saw he saw me he saw my face and it was kind of fleeting and he was kind of like whoa I don't know I, I don't know if I really saw what I think I saw but he turned around and he came back um, and on the second pass he didn't see anything but he turned around again and he you know made a third pass down where he thought he had saw me and on the third pass he um, he saw my bike and you know being a being a cyclist himself he kind of deduced that maybe something bad had happened pulled over and um, looked around and he found me and what he told me was that I'd landed in some kind of a ditch or depression um, and I like, kind of wriggled my way to the top of it and that's how I'd been able to like sit up and uh, or raise myself up somehow and enabling him to uh, to see my eyes um, so he uh, he called 911 and he stayed with me and the ambulance came about 15 minutes later from Lafayette and I was transported to uh, Boulder Foothills Hospital um, where they put a chest tube in me and they, they couldn't control I had pretty severe internal bleeding so they couldn't control it um, adequately so they packed my pelvis which like literally they just stuffed a bunch of rags in there um, and then sewed it up and uh, at that point I was airlifted to Denver Health uh, which is a pretty noted trauma center. And, um, you know, once I got there, they continued to try and stabilize my blood pressure and they um, started, you know, started to uh, do whatever else they could to take care of me. Um, and then uh, 
and yeah, that kind of began like a several days long push to you know keep me alive and and also address some of my orthopedic injuries, which were severe and numerous. What have you been told about how close you came to losing your life? How, what have you been told about just the severity in the moment of those injuries that you sustained? I came very close to death. Um, yeah, I mean, they, like it took them, it took them a day to control my blood pressure and to get the internal bleeding controlled. Um, I lost a lot of blood, and I am incredibly grateful to Tim and to the emergency room doctors I saw in Boulder, and then initially at Denver Health, because they saved my life. And without them, I would be dead. There's no, there's no two ways about that. Uh, they are, those providers made difficult decisions, they made the right ones, and because of it, I'm alive. Um, um, you know, and I was unconscious and sedated for all of that, but it was an extremely scary time for my fiance Gloria and my family. Um, yeah, and I'm just, I'm very grateful to be sitting here talking to you now. Um, so let's go through the laundry list of injuries you just told me about, uh, off air, um, starting from your head to your toes. What did you sustain in the crash? So, like, my theory is that the van hit me on the left side of my body, which caused um, most of the severe injuries. And then there were a couple of more minor injuries that I think were caused when I hit the ground. Um, that's my theory. Like, no one's, no doctor or forensic specialist has told me that, but that's what I think. Um, so, starting with my head, I had a minor concussion that I slept off while I was sedated. Um, I broke one of my cervical spine uh, vertebrae, uh, which is, you know, scary. Uh, I broke my humerus. I broke um, all of my ribs and my sternum. Uh, my pelvis was fractured in three places. My femur was, uh, was broken. The head of the femur snapped off from the rest of it. Tibula and fibula were both shattered. Uh, my ankle was broken. And then, uh, most severely, there were about um, seven or eight vertebrae in my back that were broken. Um, five of those were fused, and then two of them were so badly damaged that they were uh, replaced with titanium cages. Um, I had a collapsed, I had two collapsed lungs, laceration on my liver, and uh, there was some bleeding around my heart. Um, yeah, so that's that's the laundry list. That's a long laundry list. Yeah, yeah they refer to me as a polytrauma. <laughs> yeah, that's... And, you know, of the more than a dozen you listed off, I mean, most of those are serious, if not potentially life-threatening with... Anyone could kill you. Any one of those things could kill you. Yeah. Maybe not the ankle. Yeah. Broken collarbone. Yeah. Oh, I forgot my collarbone. I also broke my right collarbone. <laughs> the cyclist injury, the traditional yeah, cyclist yeah. injury. That's the one. That's the one I think maybe happened when I hit the ground. Um, what are your initial memories about coming to? Because you were out for more than a week, about a week. Still? It was about a week. It was, I think, it was six days. Uh huh. Um, so I came to um, 
in the ICU at Denver Health. Um, and I was suffering from what they refer to as ICU delirium. Because in the ICU, you're on a lot of drugs and they wake you up a lot so you're not sleeping well. Um, so my, my initial memories are not reliable to reality. Um, but, you know, I remember... Uh, I remember the glory was there. And my brother was there, my dad was there, and um, I actually had a couple of very close friends who were who were there in the early days as well. Um, and I remember all of them being present and um, helping to take care of me. Um, and I remember uh, it took me a little while to understand what was going on, and to understand why I couldn't go home, and to understand uh, the severity of everything. And um, they didn't. My family didn't explain my spinal cord injury. I guess I left that part out. I have a spinal cord injury, which has left my left leg. Um, it's not paralyzed. There is sensation, but I can't control it. I can't move it. Um, and it took it took my family a few days to explain that to me. They were nervous. Um, they were nervous about talking to me about it too soon. Um, and, and so initially I was having a hard time understanding why my left leg was just, you know, it looks pretty much normal, some new scars, but I couldn't understand why, um, why I couldn't move it, uh, why I couldn't really feel anything from it. And, and uh, that was, you know, it's it's difficult to understand why um, why your body is just different all of a sudden for no apparent reason. At what point in those conversations did you understand that this was from not just a bike crash, but a hit and run crash, a hit and run crash that was high profile? You know, people were talking about it, the community was talking about it, um, but th- this was the this was a product of. The, the bike crash. Uh, my brother told me that pretty um, pretty soon after I regained consciousness, um, and you know he um, he explained to me that I'd been hit by a van, and um, that it was a hit and run, and I was um, once I kind of got over the delirium. I was um, just so grateful to be alive that um, the fact that it was a hit and run didn't bother me that much initially. Um, I'm a little more angry about it now. And I'm glad that the you know, Colorado State Police are investigating and hopefully on the trail as a driver. Yeah, how would you describe, and maybe you can take us through the emotional progression that you've gone through um, from waking up in the initial days of understanding what's happened to you, being grateful for being alive, but then starting to wrap your head around the new reality for you and then the cause of this. Um, Well, you know, when you experience the trauma, whether it's like 
what I've been through or losing a loved one, um, it's important to be uh, open to the full range of emotions. And I think that's where I'm at. Like, um, I feel a lot. I feel grateful. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel confused. I feel frustrated. I feel proud. Um, and they all kind of come and go. And, you know, again, like, I really am trying to focus in on the gratitude. Um, the gratitude and the pride in, like, what I am accomplishing. Um, because when you have an injury like I have with, with my left leg, you know, you have to relearn. You have to learn how to stand up. You have to learn how to um, get from the, you know, the bed to this chair I'm sitting in. Um, and it's hard, super hard, especially when I'm not able right now to use my left arm because it's still healing. Um, so, you know, effectively I've got a right arm and a right leg and they've got to do everything for the rest of my body. Um, but on the other hand, I stood. You know, when I stood the first time, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. It's harder than any interval I'd ever done on my bike. Uh, it took it took every muscle in me, um, and I'm proud that I did it. And now it's easier. I can stand much easier now. So I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, you know, I felt a lot, and I continue to feel a lot. You know, we're cyclists. We've been part of racing communities for a long time. And, um, I know from my experience, I've had some experience with people being hit by cars, traumatic injuries. Um, this though was, you know, a very, a very close one. And one of the first ones where it's, you know, someone I know very well see on a semi-regular basis. Um, before this, what was your experience like with, um, traumatic cycling injuries caused by cars? Have you ever had any friends, relatives, anyone within a, a close circle of yours uh, have this happen to them? No. Um, I've never had anyone close to me get, like, hit like this. I mean, certainly I have friends who get, like, you know, tapped by a car, um, you know, ridden off the road because of someone's not paying attention, but um, I've never really known anyone close to me who who's had a severe traumatic injury of this level. Um, and, you know, you think, like, you, you know, you hear about tragedies and you hear about people getting killed and you think, like, well, it's not going to happen to me. Um, it's very surprising when it does happen to you. Very surprising. Yeah, I mean, that was something that I've been, like I said, trying to wrap my brain around, which is, like, especially in the social media age, it's like we hear about it all the time on Twitter and Facebook about... Yeah. Someone has a cousin or someone has a friend or, you know, someone's raising money. There's a Kickstarter right. for someone. And it's always like a, it's this part of the sport, especially in recent years that it's kind of brought a new dimension to it of like, wow, we love cycling, but cycling, you know, you can also die doing it. You can be really hurt. And, um, yeah, having it happen close to home or to you, I, I'm just curious if that has changed your perspective at all on the cycling as activity or like the inherent dangers posed by cycling. Well, we can get to the driver's side after this, but just yeah. the activity itself. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if, I, if I'm recovered and I'm able to ride a bike, I think I would. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have messaged me and said, like, they're, they haven't ridden the road since they heard about my crash or they haven't ridden Arapaho. Um, and I totally understand that response. Um, and I guess, you know, to be honest with you, I feel conflicted because on the one hand, I love cycling and it's given me so much. Um, and the thought of not doing it is sad. Um, on the other hand, yeah, the roads are dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I guess to like summarize and answer your question, like I would ride the road. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I chose to ride Rapaho that day in part because it was raining and I wanted to get home quicker. It's a straight shot. Would I make that choice again? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but I think I would ride the road. You know, listeners should take note that the road that Andrew was riding on. I mean. Big lot, big, big wide shoulder, big bike lane. I mean, there's a section, there are sections of Rapaho that aren't, that are, you know, uh, you know, more kind of country road, speeds are a little bit high, but where you were hit, I mean, you weren't doing anything wrong. You were riding a section of road where you can see cyclists, it's very visible, there's a bike lane, there's space set aside for it, but, um, and I drive this section of road all the time. It's the way I drive in. I told you beforehand, I see crazy stuff on this road. Just drivers who are impatient, drivers who are texting, people swerving around, people who are late for work. And, um, and you do see that stuff everywhere. You see it on every road. And that's, I guess that's more of, I, I told you, yeah, I haven't ridden my bike since. It's, it's less because it's like, oh, he got hit, but it's more like, yeah, he got hit on a road that has a bike lane that has like great visibility, that has... All of the things I think that you would look at in a road and say, yeah, I could ride here. Right. You know, other than the fact that, yeah, okay, a lot of cars drive on that road. Right. Like, there is infrastructure set up to keep cyclists safe. Um, yeah, it's just not adequate. Yeah. So, what, yeah, to take me through um, your thinking around the accident and the opinions you have about maybe not who's to blame or what's at fault, but like, how it, how infrastructure, how education, how difference in paying attention do you think could improve um, situation or have prevented yeah. something like this? Well, you know, Fred, like we don't, um, we don't know who's driving the van yet, yeah. uh, or you know what their circumstance was. If they were texting, if they were drunk, if they just hate cyclists and decided to take it out on me. Um, But certainly, like, driver education in this country is laughable. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see, you know, more serious effort made to teach people who are learning how to drive that it's a, it's a real responsibility to be behind the wheel. And you are controlling uh, a deadly weapon. Um, a deadly weapon that is never more than, you know, a couple of seconds away from killing somebody. And maybe the driver. Um, and, you know, I remember my driver's ed. It was like, 
The pedal on the right is the gas. The pedal on the left is the brake. Here's the gear shift. Go ahead. Um, and it's just not adequate. And then you know, the other thing that's not adequate is that you get a driver's license at the age of 18, and it's valid for, you know, depending on the state, it could be valid for the rest of your life. Um, so, you know, if I was emperor of the United States, I would make driver's ed much more stringent, and I would make, you know, retesting a requirement every five years to make sure that people, like, stay fresh on the rules. And the other, the other flip side, which is equally important, much more important probably, is enforcement. You know, it's not, it's different here, but where I'm from in New York, you see people drive through red lights constantly. You see, nobody uses a turn signal, it's like they don't exist. Um, you know, you see people making illegal rights on red, and there's very little to no enforcement of all that. Um, so I'd like to see, I'd like to see enforcement. I was hit by a car when I lived. You, you and I got to know each other when I was living out in New York City too. Yeah. And I got got creamed by a car uh, one time out there. And yeah, the um, the livery cab driver hit me. No, no uh, ticket, no nothing. They ruled it a no fault crime, and I had I had the right of way, and I was uh, riding through an intersection on the bike path, and he made a very quick right turn and just creamed me. And uh, yeah. No enforcement. It was just sort of a. There's this. It seems like an attitude of like cyclists are part of the. It's like hitting a, a telephone pole or something right. like that. You know, it's not seen as the same level of severity. It's like, oh yeah, well there are cyclists on the road, so these accident, quote unquote accidents are going to happen. Right. Um, I don't know about you, but I actually felt when I first moved back to Boulder, I actually felt a lot safer almost riding in New York City because. Um, out here, the car, like the speeds were higher. Yeah. So it was like you were on roads that maybe didn't have as many cars on them, but the cars that were going were going very fast, and you didn't know if they were like texting or, yeah. or whatever. Um, well, you know, I lived in Pennsylvania for eight years. Um, never got hit by anything. And, you know, Pennsylvania has a million roads. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, like in Colorado, we have a smaller number of roads and I think like the effect of that is it's concentrated yeah. um, and because it's concentrated the roads are built for higher speeds and you know the roads Boulder itself has amazing bike infrastructure but outside the city um, you know the, the infrastructure is not really designed with shared use in mind those roads are primarily built for for, for cars and um you know, some drivers are very respectful. Other drivers are not. Other drivers are uh, willing to see cyclists as just an obstacle in their way. Yeah. And um, that's that's how you get. That's how people lie. Make sure we should be. Yeah, so good. So Andrew. Um, you know, you and I have known each other for a number of years from bike industry. You were with bicycling for a long time in a variety of different roles. Um, you've worked with, uh, you were with True Communications, working with a number of different brands. We see each other at cycling events. We see each other at your um, bike, come by the office all the time. Um, what does your future in the bike industry look like? Um, I'll be returning to work with, uh, with True Communications, yep. where I've been since uh, May of 17, sorry, May of 18. Uh, I'll be returning to work as soon as I'm able. 
which I hope will be soon. Um, being away from work has been challenging. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I miss, I miss my clients. I miss helping them. And, uh, I'm very excited to get back to, uh, get back to it. There's some big news coming out from one of my clients from Wahoo at Eurobike, uh, which I think starts tomorrow. And I'm bummed that uh, I'm not there to help them spread the word. Mm-hmm. You are going to be moving to uh, Craig Hospital in the southern Denver metro area, which is a world-renowned facility for working with um, people with spinal cord injuries. Um, what is that going to look like for you? What does the care look like, and what does the road ahead look like for you there? Yeah, so I've been at this, you know, we're, we're, we're in my hospital room at the long-term acute care facility where I've been for about three weeks. Um, and I've basically been here just to kind of like let my bones heal and get stronger. Um, Craig is, um, going to be a more intensive focus on rehab. Um, so the expectation is that I'll be doing four to six hours of rehab every day. Um, you know, focused on my leg and my arm, but also focused on just, um, getting better at standing up, learning how to take a step, um, seeing if I'm able to do stairs, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'll be there for as long as I need to be there. My hope is that it's about six to eight weeks. Um, I'd like to be home by early November. I'd like to be home tomorrow, but, uh, realistically, I'd like to be home by early November. And, um, you know, Craig is, like Fred said, Craig is, uh, world-renowned and they're very good at rehabilitating injuries like this so uh so i'm hopeful that i'll have a successful stay and uh and be able to you know get back get back home get back to my life get back to work um and and uh yeah that's that's the hope you know you talked about it before the um going through the different emotions. I mean, you seem to be, you, you seem to be a pretty well-adjusted person in being able to like, like cope with this, like sort of mentally, emotionally. Um, well, I talked to my therapist immediately before talking to you. Yeah, I was about to say, I she think... Helped me, she helped me get, get level. <laughs> I mean, like, I could definitely see a scenario which would be like, just raging mad all the time. Why did... Yeah. Why did life do this to me? Why did someone do this to me? What did, why, you know, why did this activity that I love do this to me? You know, like you didn't do anything wrong. You were doing any, everything that a person in the world who is a cyclist should be doing. And like, um, this happened to you. And so I don't know. I mean, I want to give, give you kudos for like being able to have a, um, fairly even keeled view on this. Um, but it sounds like it's kind of a bit of a process to get to that point. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I, I woke up with a lot of gratitude and I've really been able to hold on to that. Um, I honestly, like, don't feel that mad. Um, I feel sad at times. I feel angry at, um, I'm sorry, I said angry. I feel uh, frustrated at times. Um, you know, I feel 
you know, I feel the difficulty of what I'm going through, for sure. But I don't, um, I don't have a lot of anger about the situation. Um, I hope that the Colorado State Police catch the driver. Um, but I'm not fixated on that. Mm-hmm. I'm much more focused on just rehabilitating my leg and trying to get back to my life. What is a piece of wisdom that you've gleaned from this experience that you'd hope to pass on to cyclists? Just don't get hit by a van. It's terrible. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's... You know what? The advice that I would offer Fred is like... I have really been supported by a tremendous network of family and friends. Um... Uh, and I've gotten cards from people who are cyclists who I don't know, who just decided, like, hey, like, this cyclist got messed up. We're going to send him a supportive note. And that's helped me a lot. Like, all the, all the positive vibes and all the prayers and all the thoughts, like, that's been, um, it's been tremendous for me. So the advice that I would offer is, you know, invest in your community and invest in your loved ones with with your time and your energy and and then when you need them they will be there for you and how about advice that you would give to drivers stop and put your phones down you know like if you're driving you're driving you should not be doing anything else um and just please remember how vulnerable we are you know, we're not surrounded by a steel cage that will keep us safe. Um, yeah, I would just I would ask drivers to treat driving like it is a responsibility, and I think too many people don't understand the responsibility. So that's that's what I would tell drivers. Well, I can vouch for it, Andrew. I mean, I, I, it's not surprising to me that people have reached out to you because you are definitely one of those cyclists who, um, whether you like it or not, you end up becoming a, a big part of the communities that you're in. You put on events, you participate in events, you talk to people, you're a very visible part of the cycling community. And so um, I, will always, you know, I always think about that when I think about you as like a person who has sort of an innate ability to go into a cycling community, put yourself into the fab, you know, integrate yourself into the fabric and, and be a person that people get to know and really like and respect. So well, thanks, Fred. It's not surprising that a lot of people would be reaching out to you. Not everyone can do that. Yeah, thanks. It's, you know, I was, you know, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I had the cyclocross series. And mm-hmm. I love that. I love promoting that. I love giving everyone a good time every week. And, um, I've been trying to like figure out how I'm gonna do that in Boulder. Not necessarily the exact same thing, but how I'm gonna like integrate myself more into the community. Um, and I guess I didn't realize that I kind of already had. Um, you know, just the number of people dropping by, um, and yeah, like the number of like messages I've received, you know, through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and wherever else. It's been. Um, it's been humbling and it all really does help. I really believe that like, excuse me, um, 
Sorry, everything's exhausting when you're, when you're just injured. Um, I really believe that all the positivity sending coming my way is, um, is, is the reason that I've been able to progress relatively quickly. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you.